Mighty God, thank you. Thank you for worship you. Thank you for fellowship and coffee. Thank you for all these gifts from you, these treasures. These next moments as we open up your word, as we hope to hear from you through your scripture, through preaching, through the movement that you make in each of all ways, we are grateful. And we're mindful that what you want to speak to us during this time, it may not just be for us. There may be others who would love to know this source of strength that the Apostle Paul discovers, encouragement and in our higher calling. So use this time. May the words of my mouth and the considerations of our hearts be Amen. So years ago, uh, Jill and I had just started dating, and a big event in her family's household, a big deal. Remember the Seahawks? They play football. They didn't do so good this year. Yeah, okay, great. So I get invited over to, my, to watch a Seahawks game, and it was great. Uh, I had lived in the Northwest about a year, so I knew enough that when my future talks, I said, well, yes, of course I do. But I couldn't leave it at that. <laughs> this is just me being, I said to my mother-in-law, uh, I actually think real football's played on Saturdays. Very well. And you've, some of you met my mother-in-law and my father-in-law, you know, they're great people. That's proof right there that they are amazing. Snide comment to them, they still welcomed me into their family, they still let me hang around their house, they didn't toss me out of my rear was that there was more to me than just that moment. They maybe saw something in my character in that instant. We might say something, or we might make a joke, we might do something, but you know you're loved through that, and you know that there's more to that moment. than. So for me, that was a, a character moment for me, and it was a reminder to me that my character is always a work in progress. I think that's true for all of us that are formed. If you're a Christian, it's being formed by God. It's also in danger of being formed by these... For folks that are yet to follow Jesus Christ, I think it's an important thing to go, what is shaping my character? What is, what is forming, say, character? The core of who you are, the things that you love, the things that you're passionate about, the things that you'll move toward no matter what, that shapes and defines your character. The that we've been talking about throughout our study of the book of Philippians, which we're wrapping up today, is that Paul, the author of Philippians, has this deep concern for the church of Philippi. He knows that they've achieved great success. And his message to them over and over again is, that's great, but what you have in Jesus Christ is we'll discover in the message today is that there's something that Paul still wants for the Philippians in terms of their character. They're not quite there yet. Which, If you meet someone who says, you know, I'm good, I'm done growing, I've kind of arrived around that person, that is not a good place to be. Philippians 4.13 is one of the most famous verses in all of scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. Out there for us today is this, when Jesus, when Paul says all things, he's not talking about my to-do list necessarily, it's my bucket list. He is talking about the things that Jesus has uniquely given. All things are Jesus's things. And the mercy and grace and forgiveness and justice. Jesus wants to use his things to change us. If you want to write out a sense to use his things, things that he loves to change you and me. Now, you won't find the word character in today's, but I think it's been a larger theme of this whole letter that Paul sees the Philippians so much and he says, there's more for you to do. There's still more work to be done on your character. So we're going to look at this through three different this week because I got behind on sermon prep. But here are kind of the three headings if you want to write them down. We're going to talk about the context of what he was writing, which is what he articulates in 4.13. And then we're going to look at this phrase at the very end, fully satisfied. We're going to consider what that means. 
together. Bible, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 4. It's where we're going to spend most of our time. If you don't have a Bible, there's a couple on the back table. You're welcome to get up and grab one. Let's around a little bit in this final section of chapter 4. And the heading on my Bible calls this the acknowledge saying thanks to the Philippians for giving him something. Start in verse 15. Indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you alone. You sent me help for my needs more than once. Paul's thanking them for a gift, but he's tying the gift. Our character is largely shaped by our patterns of behavior. What are the things that we step into over and over again, for good or for ill? Paul is giving me now is in keeping with a pattern of generosity that I've seen in you guys before now. But why does he even need that? Like, why does he need a wise guy? Doesn't he kind of have it all figured out? He's got a pantry full of food. Well, not if you know the context of Philippians. We talked about this. Paul is under arrest in this letter. In the writing of this letter, he is either in jail, think he might be under house arrest at the place that he lived in Rome. So he's not near the Philippians. If you look at the map, Rome over in Italy, Philippi, all the way over kind of near modern day Turkey. Like they're way far away from one another. When you were arrested, whether jail, jail, or house arrest like Paul is, there was no meal plan. In other words, if you go to jail now, I wouldn't recommend going to jail to figure out what they feed you, but chances are good you're going to get fed. Not at this time. There was no meal plan. So Paul's work of support, he has to lean into other people, his friends, people he worked with, couriers, scribes, so that he could have money, the ancient version of Uber Eats. He sends someone out to go get food for him and bring it. You're in the middle of your game. You're not going to get up and do it. You call Uber. That's what Paul's doing. His context, then, is one where he's dependent. This is not a comfortable position. For him, he's fine with it. And it's a context of gratitude. He's thankful. He, not just because they're keeping him alive, but because he's seeing things come to life in them that he's really proud of them for. He's seeing their character develop. After ago, he was challenging the Philippians on another part of their character, on taking pride in their esteem and their status and their prestige. still has work for them to do. This is where the context becomes really important. If you go back just one chapter to chapter 3, verse 4, listen to this. This is Paul telling his resume of awesome. I have reason for confidence in the flesh. If you have more circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. This is him talking about how great he is. Did you sit I mean, like, if you had a press conference after the Super Bowl, you might. But as we saw after this last Super Bowl, there's actually some humility left among professional sports. What he's saying to the Philippians is, I thought I'd made it. I thought I had arrived. I thought I had it all figured out. I had all my pedigree. And I still didn't have it. I was missing the things that Jesus loves. I was missing these all things that Jesus seeks to bring. He had all of his material needs met, but his character was a mess. We have our material needs met in the highest degree, maybe that's ever been seen in modern history. If you were born 1% of people around the world in terms of your resources, in terms of your health, your lifespan, your education, I'm including myself in that as well. So Paul is calling these people, these confident people who are providing him with support to say, look, this is so great more for you. I don't just want you to be a check-writing church. I want you to be a church that is so passionate about the things of God that your community is being transformed for, for them. And Paul knows this intimately. This is when he gets into the piece about loss and abundance and being able to have littles, what it means to not have very much. And he's able to say this to people who have a lot and call. 
I'd encourage you this week, go ahead and read the Apostle Paul's conversion story from Acts chapter 9. That is one of the greatest examples of someone who thought they had it all together, blown up by Jesus, and seeing everything else in their life sort of fall into the proper light. And he's telling the this as well. We learned about this principle a few weeks ago. But when Jesus does something like this, out of the context that we're in, whatever we're thinking, right? I've got it figured out. I feel like I'm in a steady and good place in my career. I know what I'm doing. I've got this going. And it stinks, but that is the place where God transforms us. The only way we know how to get stronger in the midst of suffering is by enduring Philippians, I got it. I I understand the suffering that you guys may force you to get there yet, but you're going to get there. And their character is being changed. Their character is being transformed to become more. Some of the most important architects of my character have been my friends. So anything like good or even remote can point to somebody else that taught that to me. I did not come up with that on my own. My friend Todd is one of my best friends, one of my oldest friends. The kind of suffering that unfortunately is really common in our day. Todd went through a divorce that just came out of left field. None of us. His family imploded for a while. His work life began to fall apart. You've seen this happen, right? When someone goes through just a crisis, somehow sort of gets sucked down the same drain. Like it's just this chaos, these dominoes falling. Prophet, the leadership started to fall apart. He'd get out of here fast. So then this wonderful mission called Young Life came calling. It's a that a lot of us know about, but their mission statement is to introduce adolescents to Jesus Christ and to help them grow in their faith. And the local Young Life director, and so he's looking at all these other nonprofit options, and he just keeps coming back to this job posting with Young Life going, could I do that? Could I? A long background in youth ministry, had done all other kinds of nonprofit work, but this was a scary thing. This was a reach for him to step into this ministry. Because Todd is a numbers guy, he showed this to me. He actually did a spreadsheet to kind of figure out, could I actually live if I took on this, right? Can't my mortgage work? Could I retire debt? Could I actually do this? Okay, he took a calculated risk. I'm sure it worked out for him. It did. But the point I'm trying to make is that it wasn't the spreadsheet that did that. Spreadsheet. It's not the risk assessment that allowed Todd to step into the things that God was calling him to do. I would argue that it was his character, you think, because any one of us that is in leadership, you know this at your core. Yeah, you can have some savvy, you can have some good stuff to offer the people you're leader. Whether people are going to follow you or not, whether you're going to be able to get anything done, it's about your character. It's not about you, but it is about you. And I would argue that Todd was able to step into this incredible role where Young Life is now thriving, taking off. New kids are coming to follow Jesus because of his character, because he went through suffering, because he knew what it was to have little, and he knew what it was to step into something brave. I, I have a hard time thinking of the last time my character, something really brave. How about you? Do you have a friend like Todd who's taking a risk where you're going like, poof, go with him? Is there, there's a sense of relief, right? When we're like, oh good, you take that risk, then I don't have to do it. No. Take the risk. Yeah, you may have to live with less abundance than you're used to, but your sustenance, and this is what a single day, you know where your sustenance is going to come from. You are going to be sustained, not because you make all this money, not because you're so, not because his fundraising is through the roof or anything like that, but because Jesus is faithful. It starts with Jesus' faithfulness to us. That's what allows us to be brave. That's what Paul is telling the Philippian church. Like, look, you want to do all things through Christ? You Take a risk. Step out in faith. Do so depending on the character that God has given to you. Paul is coming from. Now we need to talk about this secret that he lifts up that Maddie read for us just a moment ago. 
And I'll read it for us again. Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little. I know what it is to have plenty. In any of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and being in need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is like a sub-point under the thesis. The secret to contentment is to change me. The secret to my contentment is Jesus using the things he loves to change me. We've sensed Paul's life is a revelation of this truth. When Paul writes things like he wrote earlier in the letter, Philippians 1.21, to live, that's this huge, like, abstract, like, how do you even do that, right? But he's happy to be alive because he knows he's with Christ, and he knows when win-win for him. That is one of the ways that Jesus has changed him so that he's not just waiting on the next goal, the next project. That's part of his secret. Have the same mind that is in you that was in Christ Jesus. Be devoted to one another. Be poor in chapter 2. These are all huge concepts that we've unpacked a different. You're like, okay, can we spend some time on that? I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of the sermons. But what I want to try to just land the plane on today, what does it look like for us to actually experience this contentment, this peace that Paul talks about? I've learned to be content in all so that we're content. We can start with the example of the early church in Acts chapter 2. There was a gathering, and people from all over the world came to this huge celebration, this festival in Jerusalem. This is all in Acts chapter 2. They came, all of a sudden, the light bulbs start to flicker, and the doors start to rattle, and this movement of the Holy Spirit flows through their gathering. And as they, the church is born, and a friend pointed this out to me a few weeks ago, and I've never thought about it this way until then, was a global church. Everybody from every background known in Judaism at the time came to Pentecost for speaking different languages. They were from different backgrounds. Their skin color was different. And yet at the birth of the church, it was a global church. White church and the Western church kind of going like, oh yeah, what they're doing in other churches around the world, that's cool too. We should care about that. Of how we were born. These were believers from all across the globe living into this principle that we've touched on every time we've worshiped with paradise. And that's been true for the church since the very beginning, and it is an ongoing role that we are called to play. So, gear for worship. Don't miss it. I understand you got to go out of town, all that kind of thing, to see hope in the midst of the racial conversation. And we get to step into that. We get to be a part of that. Simply through worship church. Pastor Kendra and I were meeting the other thing for it, and he goes, hey, there's some other churches that want to come too. There's some other churches that are kind of in that same American churches like Paradise. They're going to come here because they heard about what God is doing in between our two churches and said, oh, yeah, we need to be a movement, guys. There's a movement that God is doing through our little church and through this wonderful group of people down at Rainier Beach. Jesus unite with the world divides. And we can be a part of that. So I just want to beseech you and encourage you, come here on the 25th. It's going to be powerful. Jesus loves... In that moment when the church was born, he showed that he loves the whole world. He loves all the peoples of the world. He loves us being... And diversity is kind of a buzzword right now, but what we mean in this context is when people gather together from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and they worship Jesus, and that is something that people who follow Jesus need to see for our encouragement, and it's people far from Jesus need to see it and go, what is that about? When Pastor Kendra and I meet for lunch, we usually meet in a restaurant somewhere, and I think to myself... Why would like a middle-aged white guy and an older black only Jesus? Only Jesus does these amazing things in our community, and he's doing that right now. So Jesus' diversity, that's one of the things he's using to change us, change me, change the world. 
is bring healing. They brought healing to the sick. When, John, when Luke's gospel records the sending of the 70, this is in Luke chapter, leaders together, and he says, go out into all the world. Don't bring anything with you. Go do my work. Go do my ministry. Go do two things. Heal the sick and send the 70 out, and they come back rejoicing. But you know what they were doing? They were doing something that Jesus loves, and their life being changed. There's historical record, not just Christian history, Jewish historians, Roman historians, writing down this crowd sweep through one of the cities of Rome. The Christians were known as the people who would come out and pick people up out of the dirt on the road, even though they were deathly ill, and say, come on, come into my house. Let's make up a bed for you. Let's known as these crazy people that were heading toward those who were sick, who were clearly diseased, like get away. And the people of God said, no, those people go take care of them. And they put their own lives at risk. If you've ever uh, been blessed by the ministry of hospice through the church, hospice care, caring for people who are dying, being with them, comforting them, that started when the people of God looked at these terminally ill people to see God's healing in you, but we're going to give you a place of dignity and rest. I've been touched by the ministry of hospice. I've been touched around me. I bet most of us have too. Those are things that Jesus loves, that Jesus is using to change his world. And bringing greater peace, greater contentment through racial healing, that's a mission that Jesus loves. He be healed. Something that Jesus loves is bringing healing to the sick, bringing dignity to all people, especially people who are dying. That's a mission that Jesus loves. And it's changing our character. And if you've stepped into those things, if you've been a recipient of that kind of care, you know what I'm talking about. People, it's changing the character of a community. I want to tell you about another one of my friends. My friend Colin worked. And he's had this trajectory at this church where the jobs that he's had there as a pastor keep this, to put themselves at risk, to pour themselves out for the sake of others, to be transforming the character of their community, and they're doing it. Colin's uh, coordinating memorials and funerals, which just doesn't sound like a lot of fun. He's doing it, and he was really good at it. So then his bosses noticed that he was good at it, and they gave him a new challenge. They said, we want you to retool our better who are starting out in ministry. So he started to work on that, changed that experience for people, expanded the program, really built it. But then this church started to realize that there was a huge problem of homelessness across King County, and they said, we've got to do something about this, about homeless teenagers, which is a hugely underserved population in our community, even with all the resources we have to help people who are experiencing in the shuffle. And so this church tapped Colin on the shoulder again and said, we've got a new project for you. We've got these homes that the church owns that are homes in the places where homeless teenagers can go and rest. And it's worry about who's going to steal their stuff or where their food's going to come from. We want these places to be safe, intentional Christian communities where homeless teenagers can experience that as something that's going to change the world. How about that as something that's going to change the nature of a community? So Colin got to work on that, and they built out the thing it now, and they've touched the lives of dozens and dozens of kids who otherwise might not be alive who might be a pandemic right now. They have helped change the character, not just of those kids who've come through and sort of formed their own community. They've changed homes. They've changed the character of their broader church because now people are starting to see the creativity of things like, yeah, we turn this house into a... Start thinking. They start thinking about the things that Jesus loves, like justice and mercy. And they start going, well, I could do that. Or there's something I can do in my neighborhood. And their creativity starts to take off because which is what we were meant to do. 
And that's what Paul's saying to the Philippians all throughout his letter, and he's saying it to you. And my friend Colin and his church is a different place because they've poured their lives out again and again for people that may never go to their budget. It does not matter. They have experienced their lives being poured out and the character of a community being changed because loves. They took seriously, in this case, the mercy and the grace that and they're doing it. And guys, I want nothing less for us. I'm like that too. It doesn't have to be the same thing. We're going to do it our own way. But man, let's be dreaming about things like that. So let's review real quick. To change our character, Annie wants to change the character of our communities. When we experience our lives being poured out, we're actually more content, not less our dreams that we never could have imagined possible. This is a great transition to our final section where we're talking about being fully satisfied. So listen to what Paul writes. In, I've been paid in full and I have more than enough. I am fully satisfied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, it's acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. The way to be fully satisfied is to be poured out, to go to be a part of. If you want to be full, you've got for others. If you want to be fully satisfied, don't worry about reaching. Give your life, pour it out, and experience the deep satisfaction that calls you to more. A great example of this is the end of the film Schindler's Row. There's a powerful scene where Oscar Schindler, the man who's helped to rescue all of these Jews from certain death, conspirators at the very end, they've set a whole bunch of people free, and he's standing there, and they're about to take off for freedom, and then he, he looks at his ring. sold this. I could have bought someone else's freedom with this ring. And he starts to think of the other things that he has. I could have done more. I could have rescued now, that's a moment that could be motivated by a little bit of kind of guilt. In, but actually, I think this is a holy moment where he says, I was so doing what God wanted me to do, pouring myself out for the lives of others. That was a big abstract place from where we are right now. He's been poured out and he wants more. That's the point that I'm poured out and he wants more. Paul has been poured out for the sake of this church that he loves dearly, and he's not done yet and they're not done yet being poured out. If you have had a rough go at school and you just feel like, I can't get anything right, I can't get my test done, I can't get my work done on your neck, if your kids are just throwing you sideways, if your marriage is in the midst of an ice age, and we all go through it, do you want more? Not more of the pain. No, no, no. The pain God is doing through that pain. More of what God is doing through your sacrifice, through him teaching you how to get through suffering by putting you in the middle of suffering. Or that is where we start to see the type of character that God really wants to bring about in each of us. The Empire of Rome is a page in a history book. We learn about it in high school. We learn about it. It's a page in a history book. The wealth and the success of the East Side will be a page in a history book someday. About it, maybe like, oh yeah, there was this time period when everybody was working on important things and the internet was amazing and all this, and it'll all be forgotten. What will we leave behind? Will we leave behind people's lives poured out? And like Oscar Schindler, we said, oh, I could have done more. I wanted to do more. Could that be our level does? What our kids see us doing and going, I want to be a part of that too. I want everything to do with the Jesus that calls us to pour our lives out for others. I want Western Jesus. I want the Jesus that says, go pour your life out for somebody else. And that's where you'll find me. Page in the history book. We'll have something on it. So what's it going to be? Is it going to be that we are safe, that our streets were paved, 
that we had great health care? Or will it be that people, will it be that there was a healing between, will it be that the country started to look at the Seattle area and go, you know what? There's something happening in that region. It's different. People are treating differently there. Schools are running differently. Neighborhoods are talking to each other. Lives are being changed. People that thought they were headed toward divorce, they're not going to stop that train. How did they do that? How did businesses start to become places of hope, not places of cynicism? Successful people in our community start to point toward the success of Jesus. How did that happen? How did family have pantries full of food? How did that happen? How did middle school and elementary and high school and college students depression and suicide and start to become leaders who are excited about How did that happen? I want that page in our history book. I want that to be what God said to us through his people, through people who are just doing our best to follow him as best we can. I want that for us. Continually reminding ourselves of the truth, and this is the truth of the gospel, so if you've heard nothing else, don't miss this. For us, and we are so loved that he was glad to die for us. That that is the good news that sets people free of the truth of the gospel. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, did you have your conversion moment years ago and then you've just kind of been living off of that? Because I, I love reading good literature. I love reading books. And I just want to share these thoughts with you as we close. This comes from the devotional that I've been reading lately from uh, Pastor Timothy Keller and his wife. They're devotional on the Proverbs. But I want you to just listen. If you've been taking notes, go ahead and put your pen down. Close your eyes. Open your hands. The way that the transformation that God wants to bring about in our community is going to be achieved is through the gospel. So let's be really clear about what the gospel is. Keller writes, Ours is a holy God who nonetheless redeems by grace. A God who accepts will inevitably inspire slavish fear of punishment. A God who simply accepts everyone might evoke warm affection. belief that we are lost but freely saved sinners creates a joyful of his saving love. The deep consolation of Jesus' grace heals the heart of the arrogant, the jealous, those filled with future, all of which are forms of self-absorption at the root of bad decisions and character. Flows not from some abstract God in a general sense, but from faith in the biblical God who leads power and grace through Jesus. Friends, that is the gospel. I invite you to pray with me as we Jesus, I thank you for the work that you are doing to shape our character. I thank you that as we've looked from Paul, there have been so many different things to challenge us. I know it's challenged me in remarkable ways, and yet it's just hard to gather it all together in one place. And so we're thankful that as we're mindful of the gospel, we're mindful and your specific love for us, that we did nothing to earn it or deserve it. We didn't say the right things, we didn't do the right and we actually won't be able to do those things apart from your grace. Thank you, God, that the Apostle Paul looked at the Philippians and said, and as we wrap up this series today, God, may we desire that more. We may, may we desire the character of our community, starting with the transformation of our own character. Through the grace of Jesus, God, your holy character in us, with passion, for your things, the things that you love, Jesus, so that we can do all things through you. We ask these things in the mighty name of Christ.